so much of the hopes and the destiny of the children of Israel were bound up in King David. So the lineage that leads up to him and then leads past him and on to our Lord was sort of like a golden thread of the kingship of David. And it is significant in a way I think we don't often realize that it had to do with parenthood and childhood and grandchildren. It embeds our Lord in a particular history, in a particular place, in a particular family. The song asks the question, what child is this? You might interpret that question as asking, what is the lineage? Where does this child come from? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today on this edition of Come Receive the Light from the Orthodox Christian Network. I'm Mike Trout. Thank you for joining us. Our host is Father Christopher Metropolis, the president of Hellenic College and Holy Cross Orthodox School of Theology. And his guest is someone who has graced our studios on a number of occasions over the years, best-selling author and popular speaker, Frederica Matthews Green. I'd like to start off by just talking a little bit about what our Orthodox faith teaches us about the Old Testament. We believe that it cannot be read and understood apart from Christ, right? Yes, yes, that's very true. And um, Orthodox Christians who aren't aware of it probably become most aware of it in December every year as the Nativity Fast starts giving us more and more Old Testament scriptures. We're hearing about David and Abraham and Joseph. All of these figures come to the forefront because their stories, the whole Old Testament story, is actually a story about Jesus Christ. We take it for granted many times, Federico, because we're in the so-called theology or theological world, with quotes, uh, Mm -hmm. that everyone has this deep knowledge and knows the connection. Uh, But I have to tell you, uh, and I guess I have to confess on the air, that most of the people I meet, uh, if we're fortunate and blessed, they'll have a second or third grade Sunday school education. So what we're doing now of tying the Old Testament with the New, for some people who are listening to this, they they can't make that connection. That's a frightening thing, but it's the reality of where we live, I guess. I'm afraid that's the case, and now you and I are are blessed that we got to go to seminary and spend some time really studying the scriptures in depth. But I think for most members of our church, they they hear it on Sunday morning, and they hear the the threads, the golden threads of the scriptures woven through all of our prayers, mm-hmm. all through the liturgy. But they don't really see the pattern right. as you can if you've studied it. It's like you can see the back of the tapestry, and you go, "Wow, look at exactly. how that correlates! Exactly. And that, look that, at that how wow those threads right? touch each other!" Yeah, yeah, That's it's pretty key. exciting when you when you see that side as well. I think it is. I think. Well, let's do this, Frederica. Let's go into the prophecy. Let's go into the first prophecy we see in the Old Testament about Christ. Could you do that for us? Yeah, the first, um, the first good news, the good news of Jesus Christ comes very early in the Bible, and it comes at a point of very bad news, where Eve has, has taken the apple, she's eaten the apple, she's given it to Adam, and our Lord has to reveal to them that there are going to be consequences. And there is going to be, nevertheless, a salvation. And after he said, this will happen to you, Adam, this will happen to you, Eve, for all the women, all the men, for the rest of history. But then he says, I will put enmity between you, talking to the serpent, talking to Satan, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So this is 
prophesying that the descendant of Eve, that is the Theotokos, the Virgin Mary, that she would give birth to the one who would bruise the head of Satan, mm. that would crush Satan. That's a huge um, connection. That's, it's a, that's it's a, a wonderful thing, and it's yeah. good news in the middle of the bad news. Right, 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 definitely. When I think of Christ's birth fulfilling the prophecies, the four that always jump to my mind, Frederica, are the House of David, the virginal birth from Bethlehem, his messianic characteristics, like being the Prince of Peace. So let's take just a moment and try to look at each one of those, okay? Another thing that people hear a lot through these weeks leading up to Christmas is references to David, the house of David, um, David as king, and continuing in that line. And it may seem kind of fuzzy if you don't have all the um, Old Testament genealogies straight mm-hmm. in your head. But one of the things that the prophet Nathan said to King David, and you might remember that King David had misbehaved. He had taken another man's wife, and she got pregnant, and one thing after another. And when the prophet Nathan went to confront him, he he did not want to recognize it was him. And then he brought about, Nathan brought about this great repentance in the King David for what he'd done. Now, the thing that Nathan says to him next to, to reassure David, to give him some good news in the middle of the bad news, is he says, God says to you, I will raise up your offspring, I will establish his kingdom, I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Mm. I will be his father, and he shall be my son, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Now that's the throne of King David, Second mm-hmm. Samuel um, chapter 7 there. And that's followed up in those wonderful words, more familiar words from Isaiah chapter 9. Unto us a child is born, a son is given, the government will be upon his shoulder, his name will be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. As you said, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end upon the throne of David. So this is what we hear about the throne of David, that it is going to be established forever, okay. that it will be God's own throne, and that it will be, you know, our, our God, who is above everything, will work through human lives in the dust of this earth. He will work through David, who was sometimes a very sinful man, mm-hmm. in order to establish the throne of his Christ. Okay. And how about the, the virginal birth? The virgin birth is an interesting one. Um, this comes from a very familiar line in Isaiah 7, Isaiah 7:14, And, um, you know, people always say, if you haven't read the Bible much, start with the Gospel of John, and that's a great place to start. But, you know, for a, a little bit of change of pace, I would say, try to read Isaiah hmm. in, in Nativity Fast. Isaiah is a beautiful book, and this line comes from Isaiah chapter 7. The Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a young woman shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now you notice what I read from my Bible. It says a young woman will conceive. It doesn't mm-hmm. say a virgin will conceive. Right, right. And that goes back to the very first century. The, the Christians saw in their Bible, the Greek Old Testament, it said a virgin will conceive, and they obviously saw that. It's a prophecy of the virgin conception of Our Lady when she, when she conceived our Lord in her womb. Um, but the Jews said, no, that's not what that word means. In, in Hebrew, it really means she's just a young woman, like a young wife. It doesn't imply that she is a virgin when she gives birth. So that was one of those very early disagreements between the Christians and the Jews, and which we're still fighting about. 
But when you look in your Bible in Isaiah chapter 7, you might see either one of those, either virgin or young woman, Mm -hmm. depending on the choice the translator made. Okay. And the third one is from Bethlehem. That's always something that jumps out at us. Oh, yes. And, um, you know, Bethlehem was the hometown of King David. So that's why Bethlehem is significant. To say that he will be from Bethlehem really means he's going to be from the stock and lineage of David. There's a line in Micah chapter 5, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are little among the class, clans of Judah, it was just a little town, uh, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose origin is from old, from ancient of days. So this everlasting ruler was going to come forth from Bethlehem. And Nazareth is a little bit different. Uh, Bethlehem is south of Jerusalem. Nazareth is a good bit further north of Jerusalem. And uh, we, uh, we know that Joseph lived in Nazareth. He took the Theotokos, they went down to Bethlehem. There she gave birth. They went back home to Nazareth after the census was counted. And uh, the Gospel of Matthew says, um, he shall be called a Nazarene. And that's how our Lord fulfilled that prophecy. Now, the problem is you can't really find that prophecy. Mm-hmm. In the Old Testament as we have it now, it doesn't say he shall be called a Nazarene. But the word Nazarene actually means the same thing as a Nazarite, that is, a person like Samson. It was almost like being a monastic, dedicated from birth, not to ever cut his hair, not to cut his beard once he got a beard, not to drink alcohol, to be celibate. It was, it was sort of like a monastic thread in the Old Testament. And that word, the Nazarene, would mean either someone from Nazareth or someone who is following this Nazarite vow. Nazar also means branch, so it echoes as well Isaiah 11. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. Mm -hmm. And again, echoing the kingship of King David. Okay. Uh, Messianic characteristics? Mm. Um, The the easy way to, uh, alliterative way to sum that up is to say Jesus Christ was prophet, priest, and king. So we see those prophet, priest, and king uh, in Deuteronomy 10. Uh, the, Lord God, your, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me, Moses is speaking, like me from among you, from your brethren. Him you shall heed. So the Messiah was prophesied that he would be, in turn, a prophet. Um, he's also a priest. This is a, such a mysterious part in the Old Testament where Lot had been kidnapped, and his cousin Abraham, or his uncle Abraham, went to rescue him and succeeded, did battle, and and got Lot freed again. And to celebrate that, a priest appeared, a priest named Melchizedek. Melchizedek appeared and offered thanks, and it says that Abraham paid tithes. He actually gave an offering of 10% to Melchizedek but we have no idea who this Melchizedek is. He's so mysterious. He doesn't have any lineage. He doesn't have any genealogy like most people in the Old Testament do. The name Melchizedek means king, Melchizedek of righteousness, king of righteousness. And then it says Melchizedek is the king of Salem, which means king of peace. So look at what's going on in this name. This is the king of righteousness, the king of peace, mm-hmm. who appears with no, no lineage, no genealogy, and yet Abraham honors him as priest. Abraham gives 10% of everything that he has to Melchizedek. So 
so this this mysterious figure um, we see in the book of Hebrews, the um, the writer of Hebrews is seeing all the parallels with our Lord, as Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham and blessed him. Abraham gave him a tenth part of everything. He is king of righteousness, king of Salem, king of peace, Hebrews 7 there, and Psalm 110. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Um, What a fascinating figure Melchizedek is. And we see prophet and then priest, and it is the priesthood of Melchizedek, not the old priesthood of Aaron and Moses, the priesthood of Melchizedek that our Lord, our King, and our priest follows. I'd like to go back to the first one we spoke about, House of David. Uh, we live in, in a world that, um, we say this all the time on the air, that's more involved in the spectacular than the sacred. Uh, everything is consumed with very brief sound bites or viewings on a YouTube of some kind, of a video. Uh, it's hard to find anything that really has roots And when I was growing up, uh, my dad and my grandparents always told me, look at the tree, look at the roots. If the tree is solid, the fruit will be solid. And I kept saying, oh, you bunch of old men, you don't don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) But the reality is here, we said the number one thing was the lineage with the house of David. So help us understand, why is that important? How was that fulfilled? Well, it was fulfilled because of the prophecies that were were um, created around David himself, that he was sort of the high point of the, of the old Hebrew kingly line. Um, so much of, of the, the hopes and the, the destiny of the children of Israel were bound up in King David. So the lineage that leads up to him and then leads past him and on to our Lord was sort of like a golden thread mm-hmm. that runs through this Otherwise, this ordinary earthly history of the people who are having wars and battles and being conquered and taken into captivity, that thread of, of the kingship of David. And it is significant in a way I think we don't often realize that it had to do with parenthood and childhood and grandchildren, mm-hmm. um, with people being connected by, by actually being descended from the person before you throughout all time. It embeds our Lord in a particular history, in a particular place, in a particular family. And uh, I think especially in America, so many people have come to this country and thrown away their heritage. Mm-hmm. And they don't really, I mean, I meet people who really don't know who their grandparents were. Right. It's like nothing matters, just today is all that matters. Mm-hmm. But, and yet we do each have a history, and it is significant if we only knew what it was. One of the things we learned from the Old Testament is to see that it matters who you're descended from, and you should be giving honor to your grandparents and your great-grandparents and understanding what your role is, our temporary role in time, to bear a name forward to the next generation. We need to be able to do that well. You know what amazes me? When you go to a doctor, whether it's a Western doctor, a homeopathic doctor, Eastern, you know, what do they call them, the acupuncture doctors. I mean, people are going to all kinds of doctors these days. Every time you sit with a doctor or a nurse or a practitioner, whether they're male or female, they want to know a history. Whenever you visit the doctor's office, you have to fill out this four-page thing about who your parents were, what did they do. Now, 
I would think it would stand to reason that if we'd want to know who the real God is, the real Christ is, that we would go to the best um, history that we have, and of course that's Scripture, uh, yeah. which is inspired too uh, by those who wrote it, uh, selected by the church, and then the fathers of the church and the mothers and those holy people throughout the years have always done commentary on those so we could better understand what happened. So that's why this meeting, this talk between you and I, I think is critical, especially during this time of the year. Uh, we're going to read the genealogy. We're going to do all these things. So I'm just kind of going on and on here, but I just wanted to share with our, with you and our listeners this sort of brainstorm I just had about history, how important that is. How important that is. We each have a history, and if you're ignorant of history, uh, what's the old saying about um, those who don't remember history are condemned to repeat it? Mm, mm-hmm. <laughs> we can learn from history. Yep. We can go forward instead of just running in place. So every uh, every year we come around to that Sunday where the deacon or the person reading the gospel reads the entire yes. genealogy of our Lord, and it right. seems so long and so boring. People are rolling their eyes, right? I know. Right. If you recognize those names and you remember, wow, that was the story of Rahab, mm-hmm. the harlot. Wow, that was the story of Boaz. There's a lot of stories mm-hmm. in that genealogy, and I want to encourage listeners to make this the year that you learn who those people were. Absolutely. One sort of final question I want to put to you, Frederick, and we get asked this often. A lot of people doubted Christ because they said he didn't possess these characteristics. How can a person be Lord of Lords uh, but be crucified with thieves, for example? I mean, what do we hear from the Scriptures about this? Because I know those who are against faith, many atheists themselves, uh, those who question, they say, but how could this possibly be? How is your Lord hanging with a thief on a cross? This struck me perhaps most powerfully um, when I was brand new Orthodox, looking at an icon from 12th century Greece that showed our Lord dead, you know, being laid in the tomb and the cross behind him, and he looked so battered. The icon itself was so battered. It was heartbreaking. And then over his head in Greek, it read, The King of Glory. Mm -hmm. The King of Glory. This is what we call the King of Glory. What a paradox that is. How beautiful that is. And I think the secret to it is, we we said, what are the um, aspects of the Messiah? Prophet, priest, king. But there's one more aspect, which is the suffering servant. The one who came to bear our sins, to take away our sins by bearing, bearing on his body our iniquities, our sins, giving his blood so for the forgiveness, the remission of our sins. And uh, I'll leave you just this one thing. Um, encourage readers to look up Isaiah 52 and 53. It's a beautiful passage about a mysterious figure that was just called the suffering servant. It's mm-hmm. the servant of God who is is uh, tortured and who dies and who bears the sins of others and then comes to life again. And there was nothing to explain that in Jewish theology. They had no idea who the suffering servant was. They didn't think of it as being the Messiah. But when our Lord, on the night before he suffered, said, this is the cup, the covenant in my blood for the remission of sins, he himself said, that person is me. He made that connection between the Messiah and the suffering that he was to undergo. Um, It just gets kind of Mm -hmm, mind-blowing at that point. 
So uh, I, I encourage you, look up from the end of Isaiah 52 through Isaiah 53. It'll bring tears to your eyes. It's such a beautiful passage. Great, Frederica. Thank you so much for being with us. We wish you a blessed nativity. Thank you, Father Chris. I like the way Frederica put that. It's uh, kind of mind-blowing when you begin to connect all the dots. Again, go to Isaiah, the end of chapter 52, and read through on into chapter 53, finishing out at the end of 53. You're listening to a special edition of Come Receive the Light. Uh, Throughout this month, we're sharing two conversations per week. One of them will have the emphasis of the season, the Christmas season, as a part of its content. And um, as you listen to these, first, I trust that they will bless you and point you toward Christ. And secondly, that you will perhaps remember the needs of this ministry. We're a nonprofit outreach and depend upon your generosity. And this is such an important time of the year for us. You can find us on the web at myocn.net. That's myocn.net. Just click on the donate button there on the homepage. Have a great rest of your day. And until we return, remember to always have faith in what you listen to.